All right, as you're having a seat, please turn to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. And uh, if you were not with us last week and you didn't get one of our, our cards, this is in every neighbor map, I want to encourage you, you can grab one on your way out of either the side doors or out of the back. For me, these are just great visual reminders to think about the people that are around me and to, uh, to be praying for them, looking for opportunities to serve them, opportunities to share the gospel with them. So uh, don't miss out on uh, that opportunity uh, to be praying for your friends and your family and your neighbors. Um, Exodus chapter 2 is where we're going to begin, but I want to, I want to start with taking a, little, a quick poll. Uh, I, want to, I want you to raise your hand if you've ever actually used one of these. Okay, if you've literally used one of these. Okay, if, if you didn't raise your hand, this is a phone. This actually was our phone. This is one of my family phones, and years ago I rescued it. I didn't know why at the time. I just thought, well, someday this will be vintage, and it's really cool. And then this week I'm like, I know why I saved it. I've got an illustration here. Um, This family phone of ours, every time it would ring, we always answered, right? You didn't, in this era, you didn't let your phone ring and not answer it, right? This is... um, this is before the days of, this is, this is not caller ID in the center, right? There's no caller ID. Uh, we didn't have voicemail. We didn't even, we actually did not even have an answering machine when we had this phone. So if it rang, you had to pick it up because it might be something really important on the other end of the phone, right? So you, you felt compelled. You had to pick it up and it would ring and ring and ring until the person on the other end hung up themselves. So you, you just, you had to pick this thing up. Might be a call you didn't want to miss. On the other hand, it might be a call you wanted to miss, right? You, you really didn't know. It could be important or it could be just something that was annoying, right? So anytime the phone rang, it was a kind of a, a traumatic moment, right? It's kind of, there's a risk that you're going to take. There's a gamble. You pick it up. You're like, hello, grandma. Right? I mean, okay, it was good. Glad I picked up. But sometimes you pick up and it wasn't what you wanted to hear on the other end. And I wonder sometimes if that isn't how we feel with the Lord. He, he's calling and we think... Uh, is he calling to bless me? Is he calling to take me down this journey of health and joy and happiness and peace? Or is he calling because he's about to take me down a really difficult and dark path? Should I pick up or should I not? Church, I want to remind you this morning that God is calling you. In fact, you are here this morning because God wants to speak to you. The circumstances of your lives worked out together and the choices that you made and the choices that others made on your behalf so that you would be here in this moment because God wants to speak to you. He has a word specifically for you. The God who created the billions of stars in the universe is paying attention to your life and he wants to speak into your life and I want to encourage you to pick up. Don't, Don't ignore the call. Pick up because he's good. And he's kind and he's gracious and he's compassionate and he always wants what's best for your life. And in fact, he knows what's best for your life and he wants to involve you in things that are eternally significant. So uh, answer the call. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to actually talk about this topic of calling and we're going to look at probably one of the most dramatic illustrations of calling in the entire Bible. We're going to look at Moses' call. So if you're not already there, turn to Exodus chapter 2 with me and let's begin reading in verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds on the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside her. 
And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying. And she had pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then Moses' sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you among the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. The child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses and said, Because I drew him out of water. So let's remember where we are in this story. Um, 1800s B.C., Jacob took his family out of Canaan and they went into Egypt because of the famine. They escaped the famine. And because Joseph had been sent by God ahead of them, they were rescued, physically delivered. About 70 people in his family at that point in time. And over the course of 400 years, this relatively small family grew to the size of about 2 million people. And as they were growing in number, they became a threat to the Egyptians. And so the Egyptians enslaved them. And even with enslaving them and in time increasing the burdens of their slavery, the Israelites grew and grew and grew. They got to the point where Pharaoh at that time said, you know, they're going to overtake us. Or if we have enemies, the enemies will join together with the Jews and our slave labor will escape. I I want you uh, midwives, Hebrew midwives, to put to death all the male children. Well, Hebrew midwives, as you remember the story from last week, they defied Pharaoh. They allowed the children to live. And so the nation continued to multiply. So Pharaoh went to his own people and he said to his own people, kill the Jewish children. If you see a Jewish boy, kill the Jewish children. And it was out of this really traumatic, chaotic moment that God called Moses. And God called Moses for a really specific purpose. He designed Moses' life even before Moses was born for this moment. And church, I don't want you to miss this. There is direct application to our lives. God has called you for a very specific purpose, and it's a purpose that no one else on earth can fulfill. So I want you to hold your place here in Exodus 2 and turn to Psalm chapter 139. And if you have never folded down the page in Psalm 139, you should fold down this page. And anytime you're feeling uh, worthless, insecure, uh, insignificant in the world, I want you to pick up uh, your Bible, flip open to the page you folded down, Psalm 139, and begin reading in verse 13. For you, Lord, formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have even seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. You see what David's saying? Lord, even when I was in my mother's womb, you were working, you were knitting, you were forming me. In fact, even before I existed, you had ordained every single day for me. You knew why you made me, you knew all of my purposes, you knew what you would call me to do. A unique calling that no one else on earth could do. Paul would say the same thing of himself. In Galatians chapter 1, he said, God who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. And maybe you say to yourself, well, I'm not, I'm not Moses, I haven't seen a burning bush, or I'm not, I'm not David, I'm not Paul. I say, exactly, that's exactly right. 
Moses could not have fulfilled your calling, nor could David, nor could Paul, nor should you think that you should fulfill their calling. Each and every one of us is made uniquely by God and put into a place in human history to fulfill a calling that absolutely no other per- person ever, who's ever existed could fulfill. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And Moses was made for this job. Right? He was specially set apart, raised in Pharaoh's court. He knew the language, he knew the literature, he knew the culture, he knew all of the court officials, he knew the court family. He was raised with the court family. He knew how things worked, but he was also tied to his own identity. He was raised also in a Jewish home. He knew who he was, he knew where he was from, he knew his family. So Moses was made for this, but honestly Moses wasn't ready for it. Even though he thought he was, he wasn't. Turn back to Exodus chapter 2 and read with me in verse 11. Exodus 2 verse 11. It says, now it came about in those days, Moses was about 40 at this point in time. It came about in those days when Moses had grown up, that he went out to his brethren And he looked on their hard labors and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own brethren. So he looked this way and he looked that way. And when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and he hit him in the sand. He went out the next day and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, why are you striking your companion? But the man said, who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and he said, surely the matter has become known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh. He settled in the land of Midian and he sat down by a well, feeling like a complete failure. If you go to the book of Acts, Stephen starts his sermon with recounting Israel's history and when he gets to Moses, he says, Moses supposed that his brethren knew that God had appointed him as their deliverer. So Moses, either God had spoken to him or Moses just decided on his own, I'm the man. I'm the man. But in this moment, he took the initiative when it was not his turn. God hadn't called him yet to this. And in fact, this flaw in his character emerged for the first time, at least that we see recorded. He looks this way and he looks that and he sees this injustice and he's angry. And out of his anger and rage, he decides the best thing for him to do is intervene and kill a man. And this, this, this bubbling anger will haunt Moses throughout his life. There'll be moments where he just he erupts. Later on, we'll look at the incident where he strikes the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And the result is he doesn't get to go into the promised land. So what happens is God takes him into the wilderness. Right? He flees into the wilderness, but God doesn't waste the time in the wilderness. In the wilderness, uh, he miraculously he fi- finds a wife. He has children. Uh, he discovers his father-in-law is exceptionally wise. His father-in-law Jethro will play a key role in his life later on. In other words, God doesn't waste this time. And the lesson for us to learn is simply this. Uh, our, our failures are not fatal for God's plan in our lives. Hey, if, if, you, if you record anything and you remember anything from this example of Moses' life, it's this. Our failures are not fatal to fulfill God's plan in our lives. Our time in the wilderness is not wasted. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness where God was working in his life and refining him and shaping him. Moses is not the only person who spent time in the wilderness, is he? David spent time in the wilderness shepherding sheep. Then he was called up to Saul's household to serve in his court, but then Saul turned on him and he was back in the wilderness running for his life. When the apostle Paul first 
saw the Lord in a vision on the Damascus Road. He, he trusted in the Lord and then he went straight into the wilderness for many years. Right? Wilderness time. Moses, David, Saul, all time in the wilderness. And there's another parallel. All three of them committed murder. They were all murderers. Our failures are not fatal. If you have life and breath today, God still has a plan for your life. He has a design to use you. Moses, in this moment, rises up. Was it the moment and God had a different way? Or did God's plan require this time of shaping 40 years? Well, God didn't give up, right? God didn't give up. And when it was God's timing, Moses was about 80 years old. God came to him and he said, Moses, it's time. God called Moses out of the wilderness. I want you to read with me chapter three or chapter two, verse 23. It says, now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died. And the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage and they cried out and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel and God took notice of them. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire and yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush and he said, Moses, Moses. And Moses answered, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet. For the place on which you're standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians, to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now, behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. And at this moment, Moses must have thought, finally, Lord, thank you. Deliver your people and tell me how that goes, right? But there's more to God's message to Moses. Verse 10, he says, therefore, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. And now Moses's objections begin. Now Moses' objections begin. And basically, Moses uh, five times will say, who am I? And the Lord's response will be, I am. Moses says, who am I, Lord? You've chosen the wrong person. His first objection is this, who am I? Lord, I am unqualified for the job. Read with me again, verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? You know, in Moses' insecurity, it's understandable, right? Why is he in the wilderness? Because he committed murder, right? It was his failure, his impetuous character, his his lack of self-control 
that drove him into the wilderness. And now it's been 40 years. He's now 80 years old. And he's probably thinking to himself, I have no standing in the court of Pharaoh. If I go back, they'll kill me. And that's assuming that they remember me. It's been 40 years. No one remembers me. I don't, I don't have the, the right to step into Pharaoh's court. I'm, I am not qualified for the job. You ever feel that way? God's calling you to do something. You got, Lord, you got the wrong person. You got the wrong woman. You got the wrong man. I'm not qualified for the job. I don't know if um, you've ever had a personal interaction with my wife, but one of her spiritual gifts is encouragement. And it's hard to walk away from a conversation with her without genuinely feeling better about yourself. I mean, it's, and you can tell when somebody has the, actually has the spiritual gift of encouragement because it really is very, very genuine. And, you know, and she, she, she believes in you and she speaks life in you. It's just a wonderful thing. And I didn't really know until we got married how much I would genuinely appreciate that and enjoy that, that I'm getting all this encouragement all the time. Well, uh, we've actually been married for, uh, I, I forgot this in the first service too, 24 years, March 16th. Got it. Yeah, I kind of froze in the first service. So we're at 23 right now. We'll be at 24 years. And um, we've lived through several election cycles together, right? So during the elections, she she loves politics and stuff. So sometimes we'll sit and we'll watch the debates. And I swear to you, every time we're watching a debate, she will turn to me and say, you know, you should run for president. <laughs> no, really. She goes, really, you should run for president. You'd be a great president. If you decide you want to run for president, I'm with you. We, we can do this. You could be president. And the thing about her is she's really, really serious, right? She is not, she's not just saying it. She believes it. I'm like, you have no idea. I am utterly unqualified for the job of president, nor do I even want the job of president. And if I leave here, it's not to run for the president of the United States, right? But my wife's you would be a great president, right? She believes it. I'm like, honey, I'm not qualified for that job. And when Moses says to the Lord, I'm not qualified, you know what? He's right. He's right. The Lord doesn't turn to him and say, oh no, Moses, it's okay, you are. That's not what the Lord says. Moses says, I'm unqualified. And the Lord says, it's okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. Read with me verse 12. And he said, certainly... I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship at this mountain. The Lord says, don't worry about the fact that you don't have standing in Pharaoh's court. I made Pharaoh's court. Are you inadequate? Sure, you are. But I will be with you. And notice, he gives him a promise. that I'm going to give you a sign. The sign is that you're going to get back here at the very end of this journey and you're going to worship here. In other words, you're not going to actually get the fulfillment of the sign until you take the step of faith. But what makes you adequate is that I will be with you. Paul would say, not that we're adequate in ourselves to consider anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from the Lord. In fact, the Lord doesn't try to falsely pump up Moses. He wants to keep Moses in this place of weakness and brokenness so that God's strength and power can emerge in his life. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7, the Apostle Paul said this, but we have this treasure that is the life of Christ within us in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. God said, I'm going to leave you in that 
broken, fragile vessel so that when amazing things are done through your life, I get the credit. Right? God leaves us in this place of, of brokenness. We're fragile physically. We are fragile emotionally more than we would like to think of ourselves. And God says, you're right, you are, but I am with you. I'm not fragile. I am with you. So he doesn't give Moses any false sense of confidence in himself. He leaves him right where he is and he says, I will be with you. Moses continues to object though and he says, I'm doubtful. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know about this. Verse 13. Then Moses said a second time to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now, they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? In other words, Moses is saying, God, I'm not sure if you're qualified. We haven't heard from you in 400 years. So when I go to them and they say, so who is this God? What do we say? God says, I'm unchanging. Verse 14. Then God replied to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am sent me to you. Remember last week we unpacked this name just a little bit. It's Y-H-W-H. We pronounce it Yahweh. It comes from the verb to be. God's name is essentially I am. Not, not I was, not I will be, but I am. I exist. I exist independently of anything else because I'm the only uncreated thing. Consequently, I can't not exist. So he's giving Moses a statement of his presence but also of his power. God is the only one who is uncreated. Consequently, all of creation is from him and under his authority. God says, I am, but let me couple that with a promise to you. Verse 15. God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am. Right? Anytime you see the Lord in capital letters in your Bible, that is Yahweh. I am. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and he is the one who sent me to you. This is my name forever, right? I I can't not have this name. I must have this name because it is who I am because I am. This is my name forever. It's my memorial name. Remember this name for all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, I am. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He has appeared to me saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, to a land flowing in milk and honey. I have to do this because I am. Not I was, not I will be, but I am and I don't change and I made your promise and so it must be fulfilled. I am. I'm the unchanging God. Moses continues with a third objection. says, but but I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what will happen if I answer this call. Verse 1 of chapter 4, then Moses said, but what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, say, I am has not, in fact, appeared to you. Now, This is a really reasonable objection because, as Moses will discover 
uh, pretty quickly, the sons of Israel, the children of Israel, are a very difficult group to lead. You know, there's a phrase later on in Moses' life that says Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. That could also be translated Moses was the most miserable man on the face of the earth, literally, right? Because they're very difficult to lead. And Moses says, I'm fearful. I don't know that they're going to believe me. I don't know if they're going to follow me. I think they're going to reject me. The Lord's response, it's okay, because I am powerful. Verse 2, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. Then he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a poisonous serpent, and Moses ran away. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out his hand, and he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. The Lord said, that they may believe that I am. I am the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and that he has appeared to you. And God says, I'm going to give you another sign. I want you to put your hand into your chest when you pull it out. It's going to be leprous. He's got leprosy all over his hand and his arms. Now put it back in. Puts it back in and it's gone. So let me give you another one. Take water from the Nile. You're going to pour it out. It's going to be blood. Water would become blood. And I think at this point in time, for me, if I had seen a bush that wasn't consumed and the voice of God came to me, right? And probably like thunderous, that's how God is normally speaking. And then I had my staff become a snake and then not a snake and my hand becomes leprous and then not leprous and I see water become blood. I would have said, okay, God, I'm in. But Moses is 80 and he's stubborn, right? So he keeps going. He's got another one. I'm unskilled, right? I am unskilled. Chapter four, verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been, been eloquent, neither recently nor, recently nor in the time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. He says, right, even in this conversation, it hasn't gotten any better, Lord. I'm not, I'm not skillful. You're asking me to be a spokesman, but I can't, I can't speak. I'm unskilled for the job. I'm not qualified for the job. I'm inadequate for the job can't do it. You ever feel that way? Uh, you've probably heard this before, but uh, when polls are conducted in uh, the United States of America, Americans' greatest fear is actually not death, right? Americans' greatest fear is public speaking, right? even above death, right? Isn't that crazy? Uh, I, it's crazy to me because it's a big part of my job, and I, I really enjoy it. I, I mean, I really genuinely enjoy it. Um, people say, you know, do you get nervous? I go, no, I get excited, I'm excited at that opportunity. In fact, I love, I love worship. And I love to sing, and I'm sitting here enjoying the worship. But sometimes, you know, Tim picks one of these long songs. I'm like, all right, let's go, right? I'm t- t- give me the ball. It's time for me to take the shot. I'm ready. Let's go, you know? I mean, literally, I finish up my notes on Saturday night right over here in the office. And when I finish my notes on Saturday night, I think every Saturday night, I wish church was now, right? I'm just ready to go, right? That's not, that's not for me personally my greatest fear. On the other hand, if the Lord came and he said, I don't want you, I don't want you speaking any longer. Instead, for my honor and my glory, your calling in life is, is to dance. I'd go like, oh Lord, no, Lord. I'd say, you know, you're, I'm like, don't you, I'm like, I'm, I'm slow of foot and clumsy of leg, Lord. I can't, I can't do this. And I start dancing and my kids, my kids laugh, right? They're laughing at me. My wife, of course, says, oh honey, you could win dancing with the stars. Yeah. As president, you could win Dancing with the Stars. You can do it. You can do it. And she believes it. But I can't. Right? I can't. Moses says, Lord, the, the job is spokesman and I can't speak. And the Lord says, but I am creator. 
but I am creator. Verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I? I am. Now then go and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. When fear or doubt creeps into my heart, this is where I turn. Literally, there will be, there'll be moments where I, I get up out of my chair and I walk. And I just I celebrate creation. And I remember, Lord, you've made hundreds of billions of galaxies. And not a single star is lost. And you know them all by name. And you're managing and controlling all things. And you're intimately involved in every detail of my life. You've got this, Lord. You've got this. And I remember his power in creation. And I step back into those fearful, frightening, overwhelming moments where I have to acknowledge, I'm, I am not skilled for this. I am not adequate for this. But the Lord is saying, I am. I am. And then Moses says one final objection. He says, I'm stubborn. <laughs> I, don't, I, just, I don't want the job, Lord. I pass. Verse 13. Then Moses said, please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. Which is not a gracious statement saying, Lord, you do, do your will. It's saying, <laughs> I don't want the job. Right? Send anyone but me. Right? Anyone but me. Moses said, I'm just not feeling it, Lord. I don't want it. And I think sometimes if it were me at this point in time and I were the Lord, I'd say, you know what, Moses, you're right. You're just too much trouble. You're out. I'm out. Go back to your sheep. And if I put myself in the place of Moses... I understand why he's objecting. And I'd say, yeah, of course. I wouldn't want that job either. And knowing the rest of the story, I really want to say, Moses, you're right. You should tap out right now. This is, this is really going to be tough. And honestly, there, there are days in my life where I say to myself, I don't like my job. And some of you are thinking, how could that possibly be, right? I mean, what's not to like about your job, Brian? I mean, you just get, we just pay you to pray. Right? And we just pay you to read the Bible all day long. There are a few more things to my job. And some of them are really, really hard and, and exhausting. Um, entering into so much uh, brokenness and pain and hurting and get really tired and exhausted. And, you know, in those moments, uh, my, I fantasize about uh, what I would do is I would mow lawns. <laughs> That's what I would do. It'd be awesome, right? I mean, I would, I would just, I would mow the best lawn ever. I'd be like... Yeah, I mean, just, you know, just so straight and, you know, I'd be so amazing. Like I'd get the contract at Minute Maid Field. I mean, I just, I, it's, yeah, and, and, and I'm not dealing with all kinds of mess and anything. It's just gas and oil and mow and you're done, right? And, and then I think, but, but Lord, this is what you called me to. This is what you called me. And, and my wife is amazing. She's great because when I'm having those moments, she says, honey, it's all right. I'll mow lawns with you because she knows we're not going to mow lawns. But she just, yeah, we'll be the best. You're the best lawn mower ever. You'll be great at this. But she knows that's, that's not what we're called to. But in those moments, that's, that's where our heart goes. Like, oh, I want to dig in my heels. How does the Lord respond to Moses? Says, yeah, but I'm gracious. Even when you're stubborn, I'm gracious. Verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses, and he said, Is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently. 
And moreover, behold, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. And, you know, maybe I read that verse and you go, wait, Brian, I think you misinterpreted it. It says that God's angry. And yeah, he is. God is is angry. He's really frustrated with Moses at this point in time. You know, he cares about Moses' emotions, but God also has a bigger purpose in mind. And that is he's got two million of his children that need to be rescued. And Moses is the man for the job. And so, yeah, God is frustrated. So where's the grace in that? The grace in that is that he's already talked to Aaron and Aaron's already on his way. The Lord knew where this conversation would would go with Moses and he knew that Moses wouldn't be able to do it alone and he knew that Moses would need a companion and he knew that Moses would need a companion that he trusted and that that was skilled in some ways that Moses wasn't skilled and so in his grace, even in the midst of his frustration, he brings Aaron. He says, Aaron's gonna see you and Aaron's gonna be really glad to see you. Because Aaron's already said yes. God has called you, church. Each and every one of you individually. There's a special calling that no one else that has ever existed can fulfill. And maybe even in your heart now, you're, you, you've, you've sensed at times God calling and there's some, some things that you're going, oh, yeah, but. <laughs> but I, I don't want the job or I'm afraid of the job or I'm not skilled for the job or I don't know how people will respond to me. And you're feeling a bit resistant. You say, well, I haven't even had a burning bush. You know, you may not ever get a burning bush. You could. Who's to say? The Lord's spoken in burning bushes before. He might. I doubt that he will. I've never had one. I've asked for one, but I haven't had one. But you might. But even if you don't have one, God has called you. He hasn't called you to do Moses' calling. He's called you to do your calling. And I want to take just a moment and I want to prove this to you. And I'm going to give you nine verses that prove to you that you are called. Okay? So first, you are called to eternal life. This is where it starts. 1 Timothy 6, verse 2. Paul said to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Timothy, remember, God called you to eternal life. And you made that good profession. He said, yeah, God's called me through his son Jesus, through his death and his burial and resurrection. I believe he's called you to eternal life. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, you've answered that call. You've answered that call. You've said yes to the Lord. If this morning you're not sure if you have answered yes, let me give you one more verse from the book of Revelation. It's the very end of the Bible, chapter 22. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. If you have never actually said yes to the Lord, then I want to tell you this morning that the Spirit of God is calling to you, and he's saying, come. And he's saying, don't bring anything with you. Don't expect that you can pay for eternal life or the forgiveness of your sins. You can't. You don't have to, because it's, it's water that you drink freely, right? It's a metaphor for uh, the washing away of your sins and eternal life. And he says, come, take the water of life without cost. And so it may be for the first time this morning, you're finally hearing the voice of the Spirit of God. And I want to encourage you in this moment, just say yes. Yes, Lord, thank you for letting your son die to pay the penalty of my sins. I hear your voice and I'm going to answer your call and I'm going to say yes. The moment that you do, that debt of sins is removed forever. It's removed forever. You, you never have to face it again. You don't pay for that any longer because Christ paid for it. Instead, in its place, God puts the eternal life of Jesus. Right? That's the first calling on our lives. The first thing we have to answer. Second, you're called to holiness. 
First Peter 1, verse 15, Peter says, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, right? What is God like? He's absolutely and utterly pure. The moment that you answer that first call and say yes to the Lord, God's spirit indwells you and lives in you forever and now empowers you to be a different person, to become a different person. As Paul would say, my little children with whom I'm again in labor until Christ is formed in you, right? I want to see the very character and nature and personality of Christ reflected out through your character. That's your calling, church, right? That we would live more and more and more like Jesus in our words, in our behavior, in our affections, right? In all of our attitudes to be like him. We're called to that. Third, you're called to serve one another. Ephesians 4, Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So Ephesians uh, 1 through 3, he talks about being called into relationship with God through Christ. And then chapter 4, he says, Now, uh, to walk worthy means balance the scales, right? Live in a manner that's corresponding to this wonderful gift of life in Christ. What does that mean? Well, he begins to develop it. He says, in the body of Christ... Some of you are like a joint, some of you like a ligament, some of you like a tendon, some of you like a muscle, some of you like skin, some of you are feet, knees, head. You're all different parts of the body, all of you necessary. When you find your place and you come together, the body is strong and fit. Right? So fulfill your calling to serve one another to make the body strong. Fourth calling, you're called to make disciples. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, even in the most remote parts of the earth. So you answer the call yourself, and then as it says in Revelation, the Spirit says come, but then the bride says come. Who's the bride? We're the bride. And we announce to the world, come. And as we are transformed in our character, and we're transformed together and serve one another, we become a a beautiful organic living picture of Christ and we proclaim Christ to our friends and our family to our Bryan College Station right our Jerusalem our Samaria right Austin and then even to the remotest parts of the earth this is our calling church we're called to proclaim his excellencies this is the the verse that we put on the back side of your of your uh, neighbor map you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for God's own own special possession Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You you proclaim his excellencies to him, that's worship. You proclaim it to one another, that's edification. You proclaim it to those who don't know Jesus, that's evangelism. You proclaim his excellencies. You're called to endure suffering. You have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. If you answer the call of the Lord and you you, you trust in Christ and you possess eternal life and you begin to allow the Spirit to change you. Sometimes that creates tension with the people around you. As you come together with other believers and your community lives different and then you proclaim that there's only life in Christ, which is a very exclusive message. You know what? Sometimes you will experience suffering. You're called to that. You're called to follow the example of Jesus in that because he suffered as well. You're called right where you are, right now in your current stage in life. 1 Corinthians 7. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Paul's saying, if you're called while you're married, then love your spouse, serve your spouse, right? 
Live out your calling in your marriage. If you're called while single, live out your calling with your friends and your family around you in your singleness. Are you called while you're an employer? Live out your callings as an employer. Are you called as an employee? Live out your callings as an employee. Are you a parent? As a parent. As a child? As a child. Live out your callings in all of the stations in life that God has called you into. And how can you do that? Because if he's called you, he's also empowered you. 2 Peter 1.3 Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life, right? Which is a big term. And godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. Church, you are called. Do you believe that? But I mean, I know I piled a lot of verses on it, just uh, right at the end, just boom, boom, boom. And I want to tell you uh, why I did that. Uh, there was a specific reason. I want to show you something. This is, this is a copy of my dissertation. And um, I will be honest with you, uh, there are only like three people in the world who have actually read my dissertation, which is kind of discouraging to me in some respects. I actually had a lady come up, one of our members, I've known her a long time afterwards, and she said, oh, hey, I saw you holding up your dissertation. I want you to know that I have read Buck Anderson's dissertation. I'm like, so, <laughs> that's supposed to encourage me? You haven't even looked at mine? She goes, yeah, I don't think yours is even online anywhere. I go, oh, it is, it is, it's online, right? Uh, I did my dissertation on calling. Right? It's a dissertation on calling. So I wrote, uh, let's see here, I wrote uh, 167 pages on calling and only three people have ever read it. So this week I thought I should get some use out of this. So you got that right there. I just had to, I just had to pull some of that out for you to experience and hopefully persuade you you're called. Do you believe that? You actually have multiple callings on your life. The only question is simply this. How will you respond to the voice of God? Will you say yes? Or will you try to decline that call? If you look throughout the Bible, there basically there's just two responses. People try to decline the call or they answer and say yes. Let me give you one final illustration. Exodus 4.13. Moses said, please Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. Anybody but me. Then Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, pick me. Lord, pick me. Pick me. Here am I. Send me. Lord, let me fulfill the calling that you have. Let me enter into the work that you're doing in the world. Lord, pick me. Send me. Send me. Moses said, Send anyone but me. Isaiah said, Send me. The only question in front of us, church, is simply this Will you say yes when the Lord calls you to himself? to be transformed into the image of Christ, to live in community and serve one another, to proclaim his excellencies throughout the nations, will you just say yes? Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would be people who are courageous and we would just say yes. I pray that we'd understand the courage is often mixed with fear, but we just have to say yes. I pray that we would remember that we're not adequate in ourselves, but we're adequate just because you're with us. You don't answer and say, sure, you got this. You're adequate. You say, no, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in your weakness. So Father, I pray that you would just make us a people who are courageous and we answer your callings and we say yes. Father, I pray that as you transform this community, that you would empower our gospel witness. And I pray, Father, we would see many, many who would come to the waters of life 
without any payment and would just receive. Father, thank you that you have revealed your will for us. Thank you that you've called us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, God bless you. You have a great week fulfilling your callings. And remember, if you didn't grab a card, grab one of these, fill it out, and start to pray for your friends. We'll see you next week.